217-3397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. With Lauren Tate, I am Steve Kelly, and we're with you until 11 o'clock. As uh, Mr. Gene Honda said, the phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Mr. Tate, how are you getting along this morning? Very good, very good. Feels like football weather, doesn't it? It certainly does. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we're going into Memorial Day weekend with uh, sweatshirts on uh, today, but that's living in uh, central Illinois. Plenty to talk about. We've got uh, five guests lined up for you. Quickly, uh, baseball games yesterday. The Cardinals beat Arizona late last night, 8-6. to six. Earlier yesterday, the Cubs won for the fifth time in a row, one nothing over the Reds. The White Sox in Baltimore were uh, postponed because of the weather. They'll try to play two today. Rutgers beat Illinois in baseball, and the NCAA Golf Championships are underway out in Scottsdale, Arizona. We're going to get a live update with our Reporter on the scene in uh, Scottsdale, Jackie Simoniak, who is director of golf, golf operations for Mike Small's golf team, is with us. Good morning, Jackie. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, you're uh, on the scene there with the guys uh, just ready to tee off at this time after a first round of uh, seven over par as a total, tied for 10th. Let's get your thoughts on the way they played yesterday and tell us a little more about the course as well. Yeah, well, for starters, I'll, I'll admit it's a beautiful day out here in Scottsdale. It couldn't be uh, any calmer and uh, nice, somewhat cooler temperatures before the 100 degrees get here. So I think it's going to be a perfect opportunity for our team to go out there and put forth a solid round of golf. I know ultimately yesterday, you know, we had some some good and some some not quite as good that uh, went went down out there. And um, I think each and every day, you know, as, as the team just familiarizes themselves with uh, this desert golf, hopefully it can continue to work into their favor and uh, left some shots out there from what I saw. Um, I wasn't uh, quite in the talk that coach was having with the team before and after, but uh, definitely felt like we left some shots on the greens. Uh, if we could uh, you know, hit a few more fairways, make it a little easier on ourselves and give ourselves some more opportunities for birdie. I think we'll be in a, a pretty good position, though, after today. It was, if you looked at the scorecards, I'd say it was uh, pretty rare for us not to have as many as many birdies. You didn't quite see as much red on there. So if we can get that rolling in the right direction, uh, I'll feel pretty good. Well, Jerry G led uh, the Illini attack with a, a round of 70 yesterday, which is even par, by the way on the uh, Raptor course out in uh, Scottsdale at the Greyhawk Club. Is that, uh, how would you compare that course to, to courses that uh, the, the guys have seen uh, throughout the year and, and their careers? Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely different. Uh, desert golf is, uh, you know, it's just a, a little bit of a different beast than certainly what we see out there in Champaign. The nice thing is we did play the NIT tournament back in March to give the team an opportunity to to get familiar with uh, this desert golf concept. And they played, it was Tucson and Tucson, uh, University of Arizona hosted an event. So that was a nice opportunity to at least start getting 
used to it to an extent. Um, this golf course, you know, it is off the tee. It's fairly generous. However, you just have to play strategically. You know, there aren't, uh, there's quite a few holes where the, the guys aren't hitting drivers and they're kind of tailing it back, whether it be because of some bunker placements or just with the, the idea that if you do miss a fairway, you're, you, you have a, a pretty good chance of being penalized, you know, with the luck of the draw to an extent in the, um, the desert so the more you can keep it in play the better and you know we've played golf courses like that across the country maybe it's not a cacti that you have off the (laughs) off the fairway but you know they're used to playing in courses where it's trees lakes whatever it might be so it's it's still the same game uh you just hit your ball from point a to point b and uh, i have full faith that they can get out there and, and make it happen today Jackie, this is Lauren. From what you're saying, uh, there's no, uh, no water and few trees. Is that right? A lot of sand? Uh, there's the, to say there's a lot of sand, I think, is accurate. There's, uh, there's a little bit of water out here, but it's not, uh, not overly, overly pressing, that's for sure. Really, it only comes into play on a couple holes. But um, it's really from the tee boxes. I mean, you have to pick your good lines, commit to a line, and uh, step up there and hit the shot. It's easy for me to say from the spectator in the galleries, you know, on, on the outside. I, I think from there are some um, some challenges probably with getting the good sight lines just from some little ever so slight elevation changes. And um, but the great thing is by now, you know, they got their one practice round out here, and then yesterday they had another opportunity to play. There was just a little breeze in the afternoon, and today though it's as calm as can be. So uh, they should be they should really be in a good position to feel comfortable over the ball. So the key thing, uh, I guess, uh, at this point is after 54 holes, you have to be in the top 15. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes, sir. You've got it. Top 15. And then they'll have a, a, so they'll have the cut after the 54 holes. And then at that point you have one more round uh, that'll crown the, the medalist honor for the event mm-hmm. and also the, the low team and the stroke play, and then they'll cut it to the top eight. So, you know, there's there's definitely little thresholds we need to make sure to meet. And um, as Steve said earlier, tied for 10th heading into today, and really it's a lot of bunch teams right now. Um, but we've got some, some great players. I mean, we f- feel really good that any of our players can go out and shoot 65 today. You know, everybody's got that that talent in them. Um, Jerry, that was a prime example. He had 16 pars on the card yesterday, just played very consistent golf. Um, and obviously you look at, uh, Adrian, Michael, I mean, they've only had a couple events where they've even finished outside the top 10. So we have some, some really strong play. I know Gio struggled a little bit yesterday, but he's capable of going low today. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of promise still left ahead for us. Another couple of minutes with Jackie Simoniak. She is the director of golf. Op- op- <laughs> That's twice I've stumbled over that golf operations <laughs> for uh, Mike Small's golf team. Tell me a little bit about more of what you do. How involved are you in the setup of the traveling and all that? Sure. It's uh, you know I, I see myself as here basically just to help out however I can, and that definitely uh, varies from day to day. But yes, one of the components is uh, the logistical, operational side of it, at least with with travel planning. And then you've got a lot of different layers. You've got compliance layers. Um, you know, there's things that I've had the opportunity to do with some of our our donor base, and uh, have built some great relationships there. And um, you know, it's 
I feel like there's new hats every single day that come out. Um, you know, well, even even this, obviously it would be much better if you had Coach Small to talk to right here, um, but at least I can, can be a little backup plan from time to time. And then um, with, with the team, we've got the facility as well right there on campus that, uh, you know, my office is – is there so I'm able to keep out keep an eye on on that right now we've also got a two million dollar expansion going on there um, so we've got a lot of a, a lot of different things moving parts I guess you could say and then we also have Atkins Golf Club just down the road um, so there there's always something to keep me entertained so I feel pretty lucky about that and speaking of the Atkins Golf Club I was over by there the other day uh, walking uh, through the golf course and just noticed a lot of a lot of dirt being moved. Uh, some greens uh, are not there anymore. And uh, give us an update on what's going on there. Exactly. I see that as progress. Right. Um, no, it it is kind of neat to to see some of the the bulldozers and the shaping being done. You know, we've we just completed uh, coring out well three inches of the green. So we're uh, right now we're starting to fill in some some new mix, and then we'll get get those planted here pretty soon. So that was one of the the things that as we, you know, evaluated uh, areas to change on the golf course by uh, putting down a new, uh, there, there's so much new technology even in, in the seed world um, and trying to get a, uh, get a green that could react how we're looking to have it, you know, a little bit on the, the firmer and, and faster yet playable side and more disease resistant. And uh, there's a lot of great um Know, great product out there that we think we can take advantage of and so the greens are something that will uh, you'll definitely notice a difference on next time you get out there and then as you saw those bulldozers in action uh, the the bunkers were working on redoing all those right now and um, kind of replacing them in various positions and uh, they've really done a the Wadsworth team has done a great job in terms of shaping those and really putting the the vision that we've talked about and the work with the architect, uh, putting it into reality. So it's it's pretty neat when you go out and you can actually stand on a tee box and, and visualize the new hole. Because um, several of them, I'd say probably four or five, are changing significantly from the from the tee box that you'll be able to see on a uh, a visual component. So hopefully you re- you saw a few of those maybe when you were walking around. Yeah, and it also appeared to me that uh, it looks like it's a little bit down the road when that might uh, be uh, available for play. Probably too early to predict when it might be open. Yeah, you know, it's we're hoping to get at least some golf out there, even if on a very limited basis uh, this towards the end of the fall. I think it's very safe to say that uh, by you know 2022 we'll be able to get out there once the weather breaks. Um, but I would say in terms of what you know some slimmer uh, a, a little hope of some type of fall fall golf is yet to be determined just you know as we see these greens especially and see how they come in and continue to do work around the course um, you know the one thing we definitely wanted to, to make sure <clears throat> in a perfect world we would have had the golf course open yesterday um, and had mm-hmm. all the the changes made but we also want to you know, even with redoing the greens, it's not very often that you're going to close down a golf course. And so we want to make sure that we're able to capitalize on this time that it is closed so that we're not disturbing play in another, you know, two, three years, you know, instead that we can have a plan here that's going to, you know, put us in a position of strength, really, to move forward and to have a good product for our guests. 
Hey, Jackie, we appreciate your time. We'll let you get out on the course and uh, do what you do uh, with the guys there today as they're teeing off in round number two, going in uh, at plus seven. Texas Tech, by the way, is the leader at minus four after the first round. Sam Houston is second with Oklahoma, third tied with uh, Pepperdine, a a team that uh, Illinois is playing with the first couple of days, I believe. And uh, so uh, good luck, and uh, we'll keep an eye on things, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend and go Illini. You too. Thanks, Jackie. That's Jackie Smodiak with the Illinois golf team as director of golf operations. You ever play golf in Arizona, Lauren? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I have. And uh, it's interesting. Um, One of the things actually was in the Scottsdale area the first time I played out there. And the guy said, do you ever play here before? I said, we said, no, we haven't. He said, well, if you hit it off the fairway. Don't necessarily go find it. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of stuff up in there, like rattlesnakes and oh, yeah, well, things like that. So, well, I, I, hit I, it straight. I, I ran into that in New Mexico yeah. when I was down there, and, and and they've got a really sandy course there where everything off the instead of you know instead of going into the trees and bushes, you just go into the sand. First time I took a golf trip there, we played 36 holes a day. Okay, I can't do that now, but uh, nor would I want to. But we played the morning round. It was fine. In the afternoon round, we look around and we noticed we were the only people on the golf course. And this was in July. Really hot. So, huh? yeah. Uh, duh. <laughs> All the locals are smart enough not to be out there in the afternoon. But we did have the, the course to ourselves. But it's interesting golf out there with the Illini and the NCAA championships for the 13th straight year. They've got uh, some ground to make up, but plenty of time to do it. They go in today tied for 10th. As of uh, the end of Sunday, they need to be in the top 15. And then at the end of Monday, they need to be in the top eight to move along to match play. We'll take our first time out on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. 9-16, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're with you until 11 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Jackie Simoniak for uh, taking some time to give us an update on the NCAA Golf Championships just getting underway for the Illini. They're teeing off, uh, well, they went off at 7.05 Pacific time, so that uh, is 9.05 our time. They're just getting going in round number two. Coming up at 9.30 this morning, Brett Bielma, Illinois football coach, uh, will join us at 10 o'clock. Jeff Alexander. Illini assistant basketball coach, and at 10.30, Tim Knox, who is making a position change, if you will, in the athletic department. We'll get caught up with him. Right now, it's our friend Jeremy Warner from 247sports.com. Good morning, Jeremy. How you doing? Good morning, Steve. Happy to be a warm-up act for that uh, great lineup you got today. You're the uh, you're hitting in the number two hole this week, and uh, that's not a bad place to be. We need to need to get you on base, and those guys will knock you in. How's that? No, that's how it was. When I was uh, actually good at baseball, when I was about 8 to 12 years old, I, I was kind of the contact hitter, so I'm, I'm happy to be that. We're going to talk some uh, baseball with you uh, along the way, but let's start with basketball. Let's start with Kofi Coburn and uh, whether this is news or not news. Uh, in the last uh, 36 hours or so, there's been some information that Kofi is staying in the draft, which is not not earth-shattering news. Um I guess he still left the door open to, to come back, but it sounds like he wants to leave. Let, let's get your update up uh, take on that. Yeah, I think Kofi Coburn, the, the question with him that I always had, if he came back and you know for a junior season, he'd be one of the faces of college basketball. 
I think for, you know, out of all the people returning in college basketball, name, image, and likeness always interested me with him because he's he could really benefit from that. We just don't know what kind of benefit that could be uh, financially. But I, the question I always have with Kofi is how much can he gain by actually coming back for another year of, of college? You know, he's kind of an old-school big man in this new-school world um, that where if this were 20, 25 years ago, he might be a first-round pick. He, he's not that right now. Uh, but can he find a spot on a team and find a role? Yeah, I, I, there still are guys – who are seven foot, 280 pounds, who play, you know, matchups. And if you can be an elite rebounder, an elite finisher at the rim, um, you can find a role. But uh, defensively is where he would struggle at the next level, and I'm sure he'll have to answer some of those questions. But um, it wouldn't be a surprise if he stayed in the draft, and it seems like that's what he'll do. But, you know, Kofi can has a chance, I think, to, to sign a two-way contract. I think he's got a chance that maybe at the end of the second round to get drafted – more likely it'll be something like a two-year, uh, two-way contract in the NBA and, and maybe find his role. But the thing I think a lot of people overlooked is, is Kofi is going to be 22 in September. Um, so he might want to just get into the league, you know, develop that way. His job will be basketball, be paid to um, you know, be a basketball player, and, and it might be a better way for him to develop uh, all the skills he wants. doesn't have to worry about school, has so many has unlimited hours he can focus on basketball. So um, it would not surprise me if he stuck that way. He, he can always play overseas. I think he'll try to go uh, the NBA two-way contract or, or, or latch onto a roster that way. But um, I, couldn't, I couldn't fault the kid uh, if he stayed um, you know, in the draft because – he has made such a huge impact on Illinois. You know, him and Io together have kind of put together this renaissance at Illinois, and Kofi is a huge part of that. The two years he was there, they were 29 and 11 in the Big Ten, 54 or 45 and 17 overall. Um, he's just one of the best big men, and, and, and Lauren knows this, but hasn't been a big man like him probably in Illinois history. So he's one of the all-time greats. He'll have his his jersey hung in the in the rafters at some point is a consensus second team all-american and i think it'd be cool to have him and io both back at the same time sold out crowd kind of have that at the same time if kofi indeed does stay uh, in the draft that's a good point about his age because there are a lot of guys uh, two or three years younger than him already playing professional basketball kind of getting a, a jump start on their careers no absolutely and, and you only have so many years right uh, yeah. to, to capitalize off your, your pro career and you know, that's why a lot of these guys do go pro. I know, you know, some fans that, uh, you know, wait, saw Nick Anderson wait three years out of high school to go pro. Uh, that just doesn't happen all that much anymore because these guys want to capitalize off their, you know, money making ability. And, you know, if, if an NBA team is going to pay you millions of dollars as a 19 or 20 year old to develop, why wouldn't you? Well, you brought up, uh, Jeremy, the, the idea of whether. He is the greatest center of all time at the University of Illinois with two years as opposed to some that played three and, of course, some that played four years. I haven't come to any conclusion on that. I just don't know who the best one is. It's so hard to compare Red, Red Kerr a million years ago with a guy that's you know, as big and strong as he is. I don't think, I don't think Red could have handled him you know, because he's just too strong. We see that in the Big Ten even this year that – he came out very strong against every center he played against, didn't he? Yeah. The, the way I think of it, Lauren, I, I don't know if he's the best of all time. It's a fun conversation to have. Like, if you just want to do big man, I mean, Brian Cook was uh, really a 
power forward if, if you do mm-hmm. the old school sense, but he was such a stretch forward, such a, a tough guy to handle offensively. Um, you know, there's better defensive players uh, at Illinois, but he's just unlike any player Illinois has had and probably mm-hmm. that they'll ever have, right? Like he's just a lot. He, he plays a lot like Shaq. He's not mm-hmm. as athletic um, maybe as Shaq was back then. And obviously Shaq was a Hall of Fame player, but uh, he just had those qualities where nobody could match up with him. He was always a matchup problem. You know, certain centers could give him matchup problems on the defensive end, but he was just an imposing force and then is an imposing force that I don't know if we'll ever see again. So I think that's the hard part for um, Illini fans. I, I think you'll know how great he was once he's gone because Omar Payne, I think, could be a really solid Big Ten big man and does things differently than Kofi. He's kind of this rim runner, maybe Nana Egwu-like, um, and that can be a really good piece on a Big Ten team. It's just – He's not an All-American. So um, it's, Kofi was the biggest matchup problem on this team the last two years. And um, every game you went in, you had an advantage, and, no, and nobody really knew how to handle him. So uh, I, I think he's definitely one of the greatest of all time at Illinois, even though he did just play two years. Do you have any? Uh, do you see any connection with the, the fact that uh, Antigua has left? Uh, who who re- Antigua recruited him, and not, not necessarily out of Jamaica, although he was from Jamaica, and then of course played out in New York and uh, in high school. Uh, Antigua's uh, connection with him was pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of trust there. Uh, Orlando um, deserves a lot of credit, not only for recruiting Kofi, but also for developing him. Uh, I will say Jeff Alexander seems to have a pretty good relationship with him as well, and there seems to be a lot of respect there. But, yeah, I I think Kofi always wanted to go pro. I think he would have liked to have gone pro last year, just like Io would have. But based on feedback that he could get or feedback that – they can continue to get throughout the process. I think that'll be most important. But yeah, if you're stacking things, um, there's just a little bit of unease, right? Like it, there, there's just one more thing of, oh, Orlando's not there anymore. Maybe it's just best for me to go pro. I think that just adds to it. Uh, I just don't think it'll be the, the top factor. I think the top factor is Kofi wants to be a pro and he wants to, you know, make money, provide for his family and, and see what he can do at the next level. How, how different is his thinking and his intentions right now on Memorial Day, uh, compared to Io a year ago? Yeah, that's a good question, Warren. Um, you know, Io always said what he was 99.9 in last year. Yeah. But I, I think Io always knew that he could elevate his game to another level, and he obviously did not get the feedback he wanted. I do think Io would have stayed in last year if it weren't for the pandemic, like if he would have been able to go through uh, these draft workouts, I think he probably would have done pretty well, would have interviewed well, and maybe would have been told, hey, you're going to be a, a mid-second-round pick or you will get drafted. Uh, I think if he got that assurance, he would have been uh, – he wouldn't have had a junior year. Yeah, and play, if he could have played in the tournament, it would have made a big difference. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, what we're no. seeing right now is uh, several players, particularly like Mitchell, that moved up because of their strong yep. play in the, in, the, in the NCAA tournament. And uh, – Obviously, uh, he didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, I, I, you know, and you might be able to say that I, the other thing that's happening right now is you said that that Io really helped his position this year, and yet I see him starting to be squeezed out of the uh, first round right now. I'm, the last uh, mock draft I saw, he wasn't in it in the first thirty. I'm not sure that but, he will be. I mean, it's going to be close. Yeah, I, I just have no doubt that Io will be drafted. 
I think yeah, that was still right. a question last year. Like, mm-hmm. is Io the twentieth pick? Is he the twenty fifth pick? Is he the thirty fourth pick? I'm not sure. But even those second rounders now, the early second rounders, a lot of those guys are getting multi year guaranteed contracts because these teams want to lock them up to a, a cheap contract. And if you can develop into a good role player, uh, they can benefit a lot from that. So I, I just have like Io is a top forty five prospect in this draft. Whether you have him fifteen, like some guys have, or whether you have him thirty three or whatever. Um, he will get drafted this year. I have no question about that. Last year it was a question. Um, Kofi, it's a huge question whether he'll get drafted. Nobody has him in his in their top 70s that I've seen. I've seen one mock draft that has him going in the second round. Um, so, you know, one team could like him. One team could see, hey, th- this guy can, you know, be a force off the bench, cause some matchup problems for 15 minutes a game, and, and maybe we'll take a chance on him, take a flyer on him. Um, but I-, I think more likely Kofi is – to be, is undrafted. It's just a question of whether he feels comfortable uh, on a two-year, two-way contract, or whether he feels comfortable uh, going overseas. But as we talked about, I think you know, at 22 years old, at some point, you just want to make the leap and see what you can do. Another couple of minutes with Jeremy Werner. Going to let you talk about your White Sox for a couple <laughs> of minutes, if you'd like. They they didn't play yesterday. They were weathered out. They'll play two today. They hope on the South Side. 29 and 20 on the season for the Sox and. Uh, with a couple of key guys out, they're playing well. No, absolutely. I'm actually going to my first White Sox game in two years today. Good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, no, like this has been – this is our window, right? This, this is our open window. And to be honest with you, at 29 and 20, I'm pretty happy given the injuries we've had. I mean, uh, Oloy Jimenez, to me, is one of the few guys in baseball that I think can hit 45-plus home runs in a year and then not have him in the lineup – uh, has, has, has really hurt. And then Luis Robert uh, is one of the, the five tool players in baseball, strikes out a lot, but it is just an unbelievable talent. So without two of our young stars and to be atop the AL Central, to have a comfortable lead over some of these teams outside of the Indians, uh, is a good spot to be. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to Ethan Katz, the new pitching coach, because um, he has unlocked Carlos Rodon into – what we all thought he could be when they drafted him number three overall. He's gotten over some injuries, and you know he's throwing close to 100 miles an hour. He's got one of the best sliders in baseball, and right now he looks like an all-star. Dylan Cease, former Cub, looks like an all-star. I never had a lot of faith in him because I didn't know if he could throw enough strikes. Uh, boy, he's taken a huge leap this year, and I, you guys know I was so pumped to get Lance Wynn. Um, and uh, he has been everything I thought he would be as a workhorse. He's even been better than that. Um, so the rotation, you know, and I haven't even mentioned Giolito, who's our ace, right? Like he's been the best pitcher on this team the last couple of years. And then you got Dallas Keuchel, who you know, is just going to battle and not always perfect and give up some long balls, but you know, you can get five, six innings a night out of him. So uh, I've been really pumped about the pitching staff. And, you know, despite Larusa sometimes, you know, all the criticism of him, this team is sitting at 29 and 20 right now, despite all these injuries. So uh, if they can get healthy or if they can get those bats going a little bit more, I still think it's the best team in a bad division. And uh, they're poised to, to be a team that can make some noise in the playoffs, given that pitching staff. That uh, You mentioned Rondon the other day against the Cardinals. He was just unhittable. I never seen him. Mean, he just looked like he's doing it so easy. Their pitching staff is, is – I mean, they might have the best pitching staff in the American League. Who's better? I mean, I'm talking about starters, of course. Yeah, um, trying to think about that off the top of my head. It's 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 really difficult um, because the Astros lost some pitchers. You know, the Yankees' top of their rotation is really good, but their depth uh, isn't as good. Cleveland always 
has really good pitching, but um, I still think that's what matters when you get into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, to have and, – and I even mentioned Michael Kopech, guys. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a Josh Hader-like weapon in that, in that bullpen, uh, but he could be a, a middle or top-end starter for a lot of teams. Um, so that, that has been a question coming into the season with starting pitching, like how good would the back end of the rotation be? But, boy, uh, it has been far better than we thought. So it's been, it's been carrying us, to be honest with you. Hey, Jeremy, always good to catch up with you. We'll let you go, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Enjoy the ball game today. Will do. Thanks, guys. You bet. Jeremy Werner from 24-7 Sports with us. 247sports.com is where you can read uh, what Jeremy writes and all of his staff as well. 930 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and good morning to Illini football coach Brett Bielma, who is with us on the telephone. Good morning, coach. Morning, Steve. Thanks for having me on, man. No problem. Uh, you're getting ready. Well, not that you haven't been busy already, but you're getting ready to get really busy now with uh, the uh, calendar turning the first of the week to the month of June. Give us an update on uh, what's on tap for the month of June for you and your coaches and players and such. You know what? It's uh, probably an unprecedented time in, in college football, obviously, um, because of the COVID rules. These these young men haven't been able to hit a campus uh, for over, you know, almost dang close to two years you know and and um so it's uh it's kind of crazy june 1st starts the first day of live recruiting where prospects can come to our campus uh, so there's really three different phases going on right um the first and the most important is our our young men that are uh, on our team now have been away for about three weeks of discretionary time so they're back in the building um starting on the set on on uh, uh tuesday um so that's a big deal that's 100 100 almost 120 players will be on our campus and then in recruiting, three phases start. So you have unofficial visits, which is just every day somebody could be on campus. So for the next 28 days of June, we really literally have somebody on campus every day. Um, we also have 10 days that we can declare to either have a campus uh, uh, camp where we have somebody on campus, uh, like up to 200 uh, student athletes or high school prospects uh, of any really age from 14 to 20. Um, and then on top of that, uh, unofficials, one-day camps, we also have official visits that will start the first weekend in June uh, where we actually have 16 visitors coming that first weekend, um, which is a big number. And then every week after that, anywhere from 5 to 10, depending on the weekend that we have scheduled. So can your coaches go out in the month of June or is is most everybody coming to see you? You know, see, we can. So the, the way the NCA structure works, so there's 10 days, basically the four weeks of June, from June 1st to June 28th. And then one more week in July, we can take any any of those days and set aside 10 um, days where we can have our entire staff out. We can send them um, 10 different locations. We can send them to three different locations. Uh, we can actually have one-day camps for us uh, here at in, in Champaign-Urbana. So we've had, had a little combo platter. we got four camps that we're running, um, basically the uh, 16th, the 23rd, and then 27th we'll have camps one day camps here on campus we'll have one more date in july and then um the other six days uh for instance there may be a day where we actually send them to um atlanta um uh, miami um chicago uh it really just depends on what camps we can join in uh you know we're going to some sec camps where we're going to you know be able to get into areas that you know we can just kind of get one or two guys down there, and if they can find one or two prospects for us to recruit and evaluate, it's a better day for us. Coach, this is Lauren. Uh, 
with 120 players coming back, does this mean that virtually everybody that's going to be on your football team this fall is going to be here in, in June and, and working out, or do you have anybody that might be arriving later? Yeah, so actually, uh, Lauren, the first wave here will be all of our returning players that were with us in the spring and then a few more grad transfers or transfer guys that will join us. Um, and then the uh, new signees that we signed back in December and January, um, a lot of them aren't even graduated yet. Um, oh, really? So they'll actually hit campus. Yeah, they'll actually hit campus June 7th. And because it's their first time being on campus, they actually have a, a, a three- to four-day um, orientation session they got to go through where we basically take a physical of their entire body from toes to head. Uh, and everywhere in between, we do a lot of uh, um, pre-screening, a lot of different things uh, in the weight room, flexibility, core flex, body composition, all these different things that all of our returning players have already gone through. So it's a it's an eight-week window that we have to work with uh, that the NCA allows us. And then obviously because we're playing in week zero, we'll start up August 1st, kind of almost a, a full week ahead of everybody else. Just, uh, are you uh, through with the masks at this point? Is anybody wearing masks? We, we we do have a, a process that we're still going through. Um, you know, I would say probably estimated about half of our team has been vaccinated, so some of those guys have a little bit more leeway. Uh, but really what the vaccination does is, you know, w- one of the things that was really a prohibitive during the season, you know, before I even came here, and then we experienced during winter conditioning as well as spring ball was the contact tracing. So kind of like the spring game, like there were certain guys that, you know, um, were, were around or were able to have contact tracing who actually didn't have, uh, you know, COVID, but were, were required to be out. So that's what's probably helping us more than anything. But, yeah, probably about half of our roster is vaccinated, and that brings about certain mass rules. Oh, boy. I, I, I would wonder how – can you really work out strong with with a mask on? I mean, or do you allow them to take them off when they're, you know, in, when they're competing, let's say, uh, in the weight room? You know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, there are certain things, obviously, you can't, uh, you know, much like when we were in spring ball. Um, all of our guys were wearing masks out on the field, but when they are involved in drills and cardio, basketball and different things, obviously they were allowed to, to not have them on. But uh, we're still going to be very, very proactive. You know, uh, obviously no one wants to, you know, you know, actually get uh, uh, COVID. <laughs> but more than anything is if you get the contract tracing, then you're out of the building for anywhere from 10 to 15 days. And that just – you know, you never get that time back. Um, yeah. And just, just the mental health of our players, you know, there were, uh, you know, several players that, you know, were quarantined for quite a long time and you're just isolated from everything. And, you know, you're, you're a young person normally out and about and active in, the, in your social and academic well-being, but they just that, that's probably the biggest effect on our guys. Talking football, Illinois football with Brett Bielma. We're inside of 90 days now to that first game, the game against Nebraska, August 28th. What what have you learned? What are some of the things you've learned now that you looked back on the 15 spring practices? What did you learn about your team? You know, Steve, it, it, it's just for us as coaches, it was just so beneficial to be around our guys, right? Obviously, to learn their skill sets, to um, you know understand what their strengths, their weaknesses are, but all, also just better understanding of how they learn, how they react, how they handle adversity, when you can push guys who's going to be the leaders to step up, who's going to be the guys that look for answers. You know, there's just so many intangible things. Like literally every day we would practice early morning um, and, and, you know, then we would evaluate the film. We'd get together at 4 o'clock every day and we would just talk through our roster about, hey, this is what we learned today. This is what we learned about Owen Carney. This is what we learned about Takari Norwood. This is what we learned about Brandon Peters. This is what we learned about 
Trace Hayden. There's just so much learning uh, for us as coaches to, to understand what our players are and what our roster is made up of. Well, Coach, uh, let's talk about um, the running back situation briefly because I, I still we're still wondering who's going to be there and whether you're going to add any people uh, to the uh, to the spring group. Where, where does that stand now? Well, you know, I, I would I would say that you know of the guys that we saw in the spring, you know, obviously everybody's seen that Chase Brown is a very talented player. Um, to me, he's a uh, he's probably an every down back. He's a guy that. Um, you know, really began to understand how we need him to um, read, identify, and react to plays um, uh, during the course of spring. He's never really had the the type of system that he's run in at this point, but he started playing behind his pads a little bit, played with some physicality, didn't try to predetermine his cuts, just just different things. He handled it very, very well. Um, I would say him and Chase Hayden are kind of, I'm not saying they're duplicate backs, but they're guys that probably have a lot of the same skill sets. They're more of an every-down back, um, guys that uh, – um, you know, can can definitely grow, but uh, Chase, you know, has been with me before at Arkansas. He's a little bit more maturity-wise, um, uh, a guy that's, you know, coming in as a grad transfer that, you know, brings a, a certain level of maturity to the room. Uh, Reggie Love was just, just a great uh, uh, person to watch during the course of the spring. Physically, he's changed uh, just since I came here in December to, to where we are today. Um, really, an, an early down focus for him, I think, will be the most uh, prominent role he'll play, uh, but I, I really think where he's at now in his career to where he could be is very, very exciting to watch. Um, you know, Jakari Norwood um, is, is probably the change-up back, uh, the guy that's a little bit different than those three backs that uh, really, um, you know, began to understand what we're asking him to do. But he has the one he is the one guy that, you know, can, can turn a play into something special. He's a, a vertical runner. He's got great cut skills. He can make a ball bounce. He can take the ball anywhere. Very exciting player. Um I give a lot of credit to him. He went. He was going through some things off the field that were just very, very hard for young men to deal with, and he handled it like a champion. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where he comes back and enjoys this. Um, you know, really, uh, that's that's probably the core of the group of guys. Um, we have a young man, Josh McCray, who'll be joining us uh, here in uh, the second week of June. He's coming to us from Enterprise, Alabama. And if anybody's had a chance to watch his high school film, he's just a he's a bigger back, um, probably a little bit more of an every down focus, but uh, tremendous hands. He, he was actually used as a receiver. Um, you know, a lot of the SEC schools, uh, Auburn and, and, and many of the other SEC guys that we were competing with were recruiting him as a linebacker. And, you know, I know the playing field in a hurry by just saying, well, I don't think you're a linebacker. I think you're a running back. <laughs> and we changed <laughs> the math in a hurry. Uh, so, so I think he's a, you know, kind of a more of a traditional big 10 back that I've used or been a part of in the past. And, you know, he's, you know, uh, played in the state championship game. I mean, some of his basketball dunks and, and uh, plays on the court, you can see his athleticism. Uh, he, he, he threw the javelin and track and went to state. I mean, just, just an all-around athlete um, that once we get him on campus and get him pretty specifically training, um, I think could be a very exciting player for us. I, was, I wanted to ask about Epstein. Do you expect him to return? Don't know. Um, you know, we've had conversations with Mike uh, from, from the day I got here. Of course, he wasn't uh, here on campus during the course of the spring, we're still involved in conversations to see where he's at. He's, you know, um, you know, a guy that obviously in the past has done a lot of really good things here, but really don't know where we stand at that point uh, for him right now. Is there still a chance to bring in? Uh, obviously, uh, there must be a chance to bring in players uh, from the from the portal right now for this coming season. Are you still working on that? Yeah, Lauren. So you know, we've obviously much has been written. We 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 set up our 
uh, personnel department to, to specifically address this situation. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize this. So up until July 1st, right, um, you're able to enter the transfer portal to anywhere in the country, right? So, for instance, for us, right, we, we're getting, um, you know, some players from the Big Ten Conference, um, people that went through spring ball. Um, you know, Art did, uh, who, who, you know, played at the, uh, uh, Rutgers the last couple of years, went through spring ball, mm-hmm. he'll be joining us here um, at the end of the month. And it's just, uh, you know, a very unique time. So um, I went through 101 interviews, right, after spring ball, and not one of those players asked to enter the, the portal. Um, now, there's a couple – non-scholarship players that we, we, we uh, had conversations with that are, are no longer going to be with the team and they'll, they'll enter the portal on their own. But, you know, to have as many scholarship players, if you look around the conference, there's, there's a school that has over 20 scholarship players in the transfer portal right now that went through a very number of them went through, through spring ball. So, you know, up until July 1st, I'm kind of guarded on, on what we do, right? Because obviously any, any of those players that are in our program they can literally transfer to a, a program that we may face. They could go to Nebraska. You know what I mean? You can yeah. literally have a guy on your campus <laughs> right now go through the month of June, and they can transfer to a competitive school. That's the problem with the portal, right? Yeah. Now I'll the advantage say. of that is uh, the advantage of that is, you know, up until July first, we're going to keep an eye on. We've got about a half a dozen scholarships that we're, you know, still evaluating, deciding what we'll do and how we'll use them. Um, but if there's good players that enter the portal, we'll we'll for sure be interested in them. Um, but until July 1st, after that, you can't be immediately eligible uh, for the fall. It's kind of crazy. You could have a player leave and just go to Nebraska and tell them all your secrets. <laughs> I mean, all the, that's yeah. that's really uh, there. There ought to be a rule, I guess. I guess there was for a lot of years, but there isn't anymore, is yeah, there? Yeah, I think you know the, the, what I my guess is uh, you know, and this is commonplace. I've been in this. Uh, you know, head coaching role is going to my 13th season, but, you know, almost close to 30 years now in college football. And there's never been a time where they've tried to juggle in so many new aspects between NIL, right? Um, yeah. Name, image, and likeness. It's going to change the game. Uh, this transfer portal, grad transfers, um, you know, just the dynamics that are involved in those three pieces together is really, truly astronomical. And they're trying to juggle. So there's probably going to be a lot of retroactive, corrections in the years ahead to avoid these type of situations but it's it's definitely something i'm sure has you know raised the attention of a lot of people around the world of college football coast to coast we'll let you go with this i want to ask you about tim knox who is uh, leaving the position of director of football operations for a an assistant uh, athletic director role in facilities and capital projects and uh, i know you've gotten to know tim knox over the last few months your thoughts about that yeah, Steve, it's just, you know, obviously been a huge asset for us. Um, you know, not not just him, but, uh, you know, I, I was able to retain Corey Patterson, um, Pat Embleton, um, Trent Chestnut, um, you know, uh, Jeremy Bush, a lot of guys that you know that were here for a number of years, not just with Lovey, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, tie into multiple coaches over the last several years. And Tim's been here, obviously, uh, you know, I believe nine years in that role. Um, just the value that he brought when we transitioned uh, – you know, he was heavily involved in the design of the building, the Smith Center. Um, but just, just the potential things out there as coaches that, you know, I always told Josh and his staff early on, like, as coaches, we don't know what we don't know, right? We don't know things that we haven't discovered yet or haven't been brought to our attention. And, and Tim's value uh, in that department has been uh, unlimited. You know, just can't put a price tag on it. But, you know, even when I got here, I knew that there was the opportunity to – he made transition in administrative role. Um, you know, Mark Torsani, the – 
uh, the only guy in our building that's been with me um, every step of the way since the first day as a head coach for me and until where I am today. And he's, his whole background has been DFO. Um, he's now my chief of staff. So he literally oversees everything in the building um, and is a huge, huge resource, not just to me, but everybody. Mark's probably been the, I would say Mark and Tank, um, you know, Tank Ryder, our strength coach, have been the two biggest game changers. Uh, you know, the football coaches, obviously you guys get to know and they're tremendous aspect, but for us to win a sustained success approach, it's people like Mark Torsani and, and, and Tank Wright and the support staff people. And then we'll replace Tim. We'll go out and we'll find a, a, a really good DFO, uh, someone from we've already been engaged with several conversations uh, of people across the country, some of them within our conference that are interested in the job because of the, of the, of the value that we have here. So I'm very, very excited uh, for Tim and his transition, but uh, also excited for the new opportunity that we have here in our building and, and, and all the people that we can have into that. Coach, I got one last question. You mentioned Tank yeah. Wright. Is he kind of in charge for the next eight weeks, or is this how much outdoor footballish type of play can the players do? They have to do it all on their own at this point, and 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 work out with the, with the strength coach. Is that the way it works? Look, great, great question, Lauren. So the the way the NCA rules lay out right now is we're allowed to have them for eight weeks on a weekly basis, right? So Tank will literally touch them every day of the week, Monday through Friday. You have to give them two days off in the, in the summer. So Saturday and Sunday, we can't touch them, but we can have recovery process. They have meals that they have to eat every day. And that's probably the one thing that our guys are experiencing that they've never done before is just the, the accountability that they have of an everyday approach. You know, every week is made up of seven days, right? And we can touch them for five. But what they do in those 48 hours when they're away from us are huge. And Tank will be pretty much in charge of those eight hours. Now, at certain times during the course of the summer, We'll, we'll, as coaches, take maybe a half hour or an hour of that each week uh, to do some football one-on-one. Um, also, player development, which is a huge part of, of what we do. Uh, for instance, when I came here, there was a player development director, but to me, there's nobody more important or more uh, able to handle player development than me as a head coach and my assistant coaches. So we've consumed that role. So we'll, in addition to the eight hours that they have with Tank, they'll also do a lot of player development, which has nothing to do with X's and O's. It has to do with mentality, framework, being a good teammate, nutrition, recovery. We'll do financial responsibilities. We'll do, um, you know, NTA legislation. We'll do anything. Uh, they'll meet with, with law enforcement in the community. We'll bring people in front of them that touch every aspect of their life. We'll have them talk to a, a sleep uh, expert about, you know, the proper amount of recovery and sleep that goes into every day. And it's just we want to overflow them with information to make them better uh, you know, for, for that opener against Nebraska and the rest of the season ahead. Hey, Brett, good stuff. We appreciate your time. Uh, have a good weekend and uh, hunker down now. And it's time to get busy. Only 90 days out from that first game. Well, Steve, I appreciate it. And obviously, um, we all know it's Memorial Day weekend to honor all, all the people that have um, given the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And I just want to um, give due respect to that and the people and the families that are affected by that. And obviously, we play every Saturday at Memorial Stadium and what that means uh, and embodies and in, in, in everything that we talk about. So I appreciate everybody's time and respect to that. Uh, Lauren, Steve, appreciate you. And ILL. I and I. Thanks I and I. a lot. Thank you. Brett Bielma with us on this edition of Illini Pedal Saturday Sports Talk. Schedule change for Illinois baseball today. They're scheduled for a game today and a game tomorrow at Rutgers. They're going to play two today. Two seven-inning no-hitters. <laughs> no two seven That'd be something, wouldn't it? Two seven-inning games starting at noon 
here. And you can hear them both right here on News Talk 1400 DWS. Need to take a break at 9.50. Back with more after this. is the time. Phone line is open between now and 10 if you want to jump in. 356-9397. Area code 217, of course. If you missed the word there before the break, Illinois baseball is playing two games today, so their season will wrap up today in Piscataway, New Jersey, instead of tomorrow. They hope uh, to get two games in. Looks like good weather today. They'll play two seven-inning games in that... uh, Ballpark out there in Piscataway against Rutgers. Illinois enters the season at 21 and 21. Speaking of baseball, again, we do have the phone lines open. Jump in. Um, Lauren's still talking about the, the Pirates play. <laughs> I think that, uh, that Will Craig's play as first baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates when he chased. Poor guy. He's going, he's going <laughs> but, down in history, isn't he? <laughs> yes. I mean, look. We, we've known some bonehead plays in the history of football, particularly. There are several that I can remember, and I can't I had to look them up today, but obviously Jim Marshall returned to fumble. Was that 1964? Mm-hmm. I think they, uh, yeah, I think it was around that. Minnesota time Vikings. With the Minnesota, uh, yeah, he was with the Vikings against the 49ers. He picked up a fumble and he ran it into the wrong end zone. He, he bumped into somebody and got turned mm-hmm. around, and, and it was a safety for the other team, obviously. The 49ers get two points out of it. So he was, uh, you know, had to live with that the rest of his life. Uh, Roy Regals, this goes all the way back to the 1929 Rose Bowl, I believe, and Roy Regals was center for Cal. And, um, of course, he's, he, got, he became known as Wrong Way Regals because he, uh, he picked up a fumble and also got confused and ran the wrong direction and was tackled by a teammate on the one-yard line. <laughs> And they were chasing him down. He's running the guys yelling at him, stop, stop. And he couldn't figure it out. And the, he didn't and have the, the blazing speed to get all the way in the end zone. I don't know. But the, 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 maybe the craziest one of all is Wrong Way Corrigan, who bat, I think this might have been in the 20s or 30s, I'm not sure. But he flew out of California. And this is, you know, this is after Lindbergh. In fact, he was a, a worker on the Lindbergh plane when Lindbergh flew the Atlantic. And he, uh, he flies from... California to New York and was going to fly back and got confused and wound up in Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> and the plane was in such bad shape that they had to ship it back. That's why, <laughs> that's why it flew one way, huh? Oh, man. One way Corgan. So, so I'm, but I'm saying that Craig's decision is the worst of all time because all he had to do was touch first base. He wasn't confused. Nobody bumped into him. Right. He wasn't flying in the middle of the night and didn't know which direction he was going. He's chasing a guy back to home plate when all he has to do is touch first base. And then he throws the ball home. And, and why is he throwing the ball home? The guy can't score. It doesn't, even, it doesn't matter if he does score. He just got so confused. But uh, anyway, you know, there was a World Series game once upon a time, Steve, also where the where the runner on first when a, when the batter hit a game winning single with a man on third didn't touch second base and the ball was somehow lost and they had to get another ball from the umpires and go out and touch second base for the force out that forced that game to be continued so there've been crazy stuff all along right what's the craziest i saw two balls in in play in one game at one time with the cardinals and the cubs I think Bob Anderson was a pitcher, 
Bob I knew real well. He was from Hammond, Indiana. And I may be mistaken on all this, but I think that the, the umpire caught, uh, brought a new ball in when there was already a ball in play. He didn't realize, and so there's two balls. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, go to the phones. Tom is calling in from Muhammad. Hey, Tom. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, well, my dad, regarding that pirate first baseman, my dad used to say, sometimes the big leaguers play like little leaguers. Yeah. And, but um, I saw something this week, speaking of baseball, I caught a little bit of the Dodgers and Astros, and they put pool holes in about the sixth or seventh inning. And I tell you what, that was upsetting for me. He... <laughs> He just needs to stop playing baseball. I mean, I don't know if you've seen him. He's really heavy, for one thing. Uh, uh, I saw him hit a ground ball the other day and, uh, into a double play, and he, he hadn't come into the pitcher when, <laughs> when the first baseman got the ball. But he had a ball yesterday that was over the fence and was caught in the ninth inning, I believe it was the ninth inning. And uh, and it would have been a home run if the if the if the player hadn't made a sensational catch on it. It would have won the game for the Dodgers in the ninth inning, I believe. But he's well, batting two. One. He's batting two hundred, and and there's a lot of guys batting down in that range. And he has hit what Steve has hit about six home runs so far this year. Yeah, something like six or seven. He I'm had four sure. in April, and he's got a couple with the Dodgers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing too that there was a play the first base. There was a play the Dodger shortstop threw the ball high um and man if he got if his feet were six inches off the ground to reach for that ball each or had i mean he could i don't know i didn't like watching it it kind of reminded me of when willie mays tried to come back with the mets years and years ago um you know you try to remember those guys at their height and and i it, it's just hard to watch them uh you know, it's just hard to watch their skills fall below what it takes to be a major leaguer, in my opinion. Well, he's not the same guy anymore. There's no question about that. He is overweight and he is uh, slow, and but he can still swing the bat a little. And uh, you know, I, I I expect him to use him pretty much as a pinch hitter the rest of the season. I don't yeah, know. he'll be in there on occasion. But I saw a pickoff play uh, when they threw the ball to him at first base where he missed the throw. Is right to him. He just missed it. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I remember Brock had a, the season before he retired was not good, and then his last season he he was really good, and then he just walked off. And it'd be nice if everybody could do it that way. I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tom. Thanks. We appreciate the call. It is ten o'clock. WDWS Champaign Urbana. We'll have uh, hour number two of Alani Pella Saturday Sports Talk coming up after this. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We've got an hour to go. If you'd like to join us, 217-356-9397. Thanks to our guests in that uh, first hour, Jackie Simoniak from the Illinois Golf Program with an update on the NCAA Golf Championships. The Illini on the course now in Scottsdale, Arizona, round number two. Jeremy Warner from 24-7 Sports uh, joins us and Illini football coach Brett Bielma 
spend about 20 minutes with us in that first hour. Second hour, we've got uh, things kicking off with Illinois assistant basketball coach Jeff Alexander with us on the phone this morning. Morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good. Lauren Tate and I would love to chat with you a little bit about uh, Illinois basketball. And uh, I guess there's an old saying, you know, when you ask somebody, how you how you doing these days? And they say, you know what? I'm just living the dream. That's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? That's what it? I'm doing. <laughs> Maybe we're all doing that. That's right. No, I've uh, that that's definitely been my uh, my standard uh, comment here the last uh, week. Um, I've stated many times I've, I've I am living living out a dream. Um, this is something. Um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be a part of Illinois. I have been the last four years, and I uh, look forward to uh, what's ahead. Well, you go back a ways with Brad Underwood. Talk a little bit about that and uh, how many stops you've been at with him. Yeah, um, so I obviously played for Brad at Western Illinois, um, and that started in 1997 uh, after I transferred uh, to Western Illinois from Southeastern Community College in Burlington and uh, played, played for uh, – uh, Western and, and Brad uh, through the 99 year. And then um, once I finished up, I, I immediately uh, was a grad assistant uh, and, and worked with him. Um, from there, um, I, I, I took my, uh, I went away and, and took my first job in Texas uh, at Jacksonville College and spent a year there. And then uh, when uh, Brad, Brad got the job down at Daytona, I uh, went over there and spent three years with him there. So those are Western and Daytona were kind of the two stops. Um, and then obviously rejoining him uh, four years ago here. Well, talk a little bit about how your job will change. Obviously you were the assistant to the head coach before. Now you're an on court coach and able to recruit. I guess those are the two biggest differences, right? Sure. Those are obviously the two, two big areas, uh, getting back on the floor, uh, where you can instruct, teach, um, you know, obviously uh, be in the middle of things out there and then obviously being able to uh, go out and, and, and recruit away from campus. I was, I was allowed to do some things recruiting-wise, um, you, know, you know, the last four years with some restrictions, uh, but um, now it's full go. It's full go. I'm ready to get out and go. Well, Coach, it's good to hear from you. This is Lauren, and, and I uh... – I'm just wondering, uh, what can the players do as of June one? What, uh, what, what is your? Uh, how can you be in touch with them uh, as of the start of this next month? Sure. Well, uh, Lauren, you know the last I think it's been roughly eighteen months. Every you know we've been in considered a, a, a dead period where uh, obviously you cannot have any uh, recruits on campus. You cannot leave campus to go recruit. So obviously a lot of restrictions uh, the, 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 the past 18 months. Uh, once June 1 hits, um, obviously certain, uh, the 22 class, the 23 class uh, can start making on-campus visits. Uh, along with that, um, you know, obviously we're allowed to go off campus uh, when, when, when those times, those, those, uh, those events that are certified, those, those evaluation periods, so we're getting back to full go where we can get out, evaluate, uh, watch kids compete, get them on campus, and, uh, you know, recruit them like, uh, like we have in the past. What about the players on the team now? What about, uh, you know, the, the returnees and, and the players that are 
uh, that are coming in. You've got uh, three freshmen, I believe, and and, uh, and a transfer coming in, two transfers coming in. So what, yep. what's your uh, status in that regard? As far, how do you deal with the players on the squad? Well, once, you know, once, you know, Lawrence, um, you know, June 10th hits, we'll, they'll start uh, start trickling back. Um, guys will start returning to uh, for summer school, for summer workouts. Um, you know, obviously the, the returning guys will be, you know, making their ways back to campus. So, you know, we're excited for that. Obviously, uh, the anticipation of them getting here, getting to work, uh, we're super excited to have those guys and uh, get a get a be around them here uh, here in the next couple of weeks. But can you coach them, or, or are they on their own, or are they just can, can they only deal with the weight training? coaches um well there there are uh restrictions as far as time limits and all that we're uh we're allowed you know a couple weeks with them uh on the floor a couple hours on the floor with them uh and then they'll get their uh their work in the strength uh with with fledge so a little mixture of both lauren uh we we do get to work with them now and um you know obviously they'll uh they'll have their uh their time with fledge talking basketball with uh, jeff alexander you mentioned some of the new guys coming in, uh, the transfers and the freshmen. You've got a couple of old guys coming back too, and uh, Trent Frazier and Demonte Williams. Talk about what uh, what that might do to benefit this team having guys like that back. Well, you know, obviously you're talking about two two four year starters, um, guys that have been um, in the heat of the battles for four years, um, have, have have you know obviously been part of of winning and winning very big here. Uh, so, so being able to keep that, and, and obviously uh, the culture piece, and, and and understanding what we do, and helping these new guys once they get here and adapt, um, you know, obviously keeping those two guys around is is you know a, a, a really good thing. Um, you know, Trent, you know, he's a guy that's uh, you know scored a lot of points, um, has played a lot of minutes, and then obviously you know Demonte doing what Demonte does and. A uh, little bit of everything. So, uh, super excited. Love the love the love the guys, and uh, can't wait for those guys to get back. As you look ahead uh, down the road, even not that far down the road, with Kofi Coburn's situation of still being in the NBA draft, with uh, an outside chance that he still could come back, how does that affect you uh, in looking at the portal and looking at uh, recruiting overall for that position? Well, you know, obviously always staying ahead, uh, and not just the case with Kofi, but uh, always staying ahead, staying, a, you know, in, in, in the forefront of things. You know, obviously Kofi's, you know, making a decision and, and, and has has uh, done that to, to see where he's at in the process. And, you know, we're all supportive, Brad's supportive, and, and, and you know, hope things that, that uh, move forward and help him uh, kind of sort through some things. So, you know, obviously he has his eligibility still still there, but um, you know we want him to go in full steam and have his mindset and really go attack these workouts when he's doing this. One thing I learned about you that I didn't know um, is the number of international uh, ties that uh, you have you've built up over the years. How did that come about? Did, uh, did you play over there at some point, or how did how did that work? No, um, Steve. To be honest, it, uh, you know, I, I my first job in Texas that I talked about earlier, uh, a young man that um, was from over in Europe, that is now back over there, that is a national team coach, and 
um, you know, spends a lot of time on the, on, you know, in those international t- uh, tournaments and FIBA tournaments and um, has been a good friend has helped me uh, develop a lot, a lot of relationships, especially over there. And uh, just over the years, I've, I've just been, I love their skill set. Um, I love their work ethic. They obviously come through uh, with a difference, um, you know, with the club scene over there. And, um, you know, I just, I've always enjoyed that market and I uh, have tremendous relationships over there. With your dad being a high school coaching legend and certainly with contacts in the state of Illinois, everybody knows who he is. Uh, how's that benefited you? Uh, well, just, you know, I've, you know, obviously been in the state, you know, uh, and, and built a lot of relationships and obviously dad's helped that, uh, along the way, getting to know people from way back and continuing those relationships and, uh, building new ones. Um, he's been a huge help along the way in a lot of ways. Um, you know, just helping me develop, you know, core values, you know, early on and what it means to be a coach and, you know, uh, you know, then you add on top of his ability to help me, you know, at a young age and, and, and get to know people. And uh, he's been a huge help. I wouldn't be where I am today without him and uh, just blessed. Now, did Neil ever consider uh, or did he have any offers to be a, a college coach? Uh, Lauren, you know what? You know, he's it, it's been talked about over the years, but he loves where he's at. He loves what he's doing. Uh, he's got great kids that are committed. Um, they win a lot of games. Um, so, you know, I, I, he's, he's done that and done it well for over 40 years. And uh, I, I think he just enjoys what he's, where, where he's at and what he's doing. What keeps, you, um, what keeps you busy outside of basketball? What are the, your other interests? Tell us about your family. Yeah, i got a great family, obviously. Uh, my wife, Kirsten. Uh, we'll be married 15 years, and you know, here on June 10th, um, and uh, have three little kids, uh, two oldest daughters, Braylon, who's 12, Kenley, that's 10, and then I got a younger son that's uh, that that's eight. Um, so very blessed. Uh, you know, outside of, of basketball, you know, I spend a lot of time with family. Uh, love to travel. Love to play golf. Uh, so just a little bit of everything, Steve. I'm going to take you back to Omar Payne for my last question here. I know Georgie's gone, and there's a good chance that Kofi's gone. Uh, tell us about Payne. How does he fit in? It looks to me like he's the logical guy to be the starter at center if that if that's the way it works out. Sure. Well, you're you're looking at a kid that um, you know obviously has the size and length at six ten uh, with a, with a really good wingspan. I think he's got a plus four, plus five wingspan. Um, that that can really really change into the floor, Lauren. Um, something that Georgie did last year that uh, you know may have not been talked about enough was him uh, changing ends in, in in transition and what that did for us. Omar Payne's kind of in that same mold. Can really really run. He's going to really put pressure you know on the front of the rim. Um, and a guy in ball screens that can really uh, with his athleticism can really get in and get out of them which is going to create uh, problems and, and really help, um, you know, our guys that we've added with, with shooting and all that. Um, but how does this change your offense in terms of, you know, you going, going to Kofi all the time, I would, I would assume that Payne won't be quite that type of offensive player. 
Well, he, he's just different, Lauren. He's just he, he's different. Obviously, uh, doesn't have the size uh, that that Kofi has, but uh, he's going to he's going to use things differently with his, his athleticism. Uh, he plays extremely um, at a high level above the rim. Um, you know, he's a guy you're going to be able to throw in, throw the ball in there, and he can score. Um, you know, that's an area where we're, we're going to help him at and help him develop. And then defensively, I think he can be really good. You know, a guy that can block shots. Uh, he can really guard in the, uh, in the pick and roll. And uh, we're just excited to have him. So beginning next week, you can have players in for official and unofficial visits. Now, can you guys go out beginning in June? Uh, we can uh, in uh, uh, certified events that are certified uh, in the month. And that starts uh, later on. So not uh, at the beginning, but uh, mid mid June. Good stuff, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Congratulations, and we'll uh, we look forward to continuing to work with you uh, in the months and years ahead. Steve, I appreciate it. Lauren, good talking to you, and uh, you guys have a good holiday weekend. You do okay, the same. Same to you, Jeff Alexander, with us, assistant basketball coach for the University of Illinois. It's ten sixteen. On the line, I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. You know the folks at the Pella Window and Door Store in Champaign have been serving Champaign County uh, residents and businesses since 1999 and uh, throughout uh, central Illinois and throughout the state. They want to help you find the perfect window or door, whether you're looking for a new replacement, a door, or a brand new door or window. They've got it for you at their showroom at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. That's where you'll see the products in person. The uh, Pella experts know all about what type of window or door works best in various situations and unique homes and working with them is an easy process from start to finish they'll be there to make suggestions about the products themselves they'll also talk to you about the installation and other matters in getting the project done the best place to start is to visit the showroom 1001 north country fair drive that's where you'll learn more about the styles materials and options available to you the Illini Pella team has the knowledge and experience to help you find the perfect Pella product for your project. 356-6474 is the number. They're open to regular business hours of Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday by appointment. Check them out online as well if you're looking to do some weekend research. Pellaofchampagne.com. Moving up on 1019, a break, and back with more. We'll have the phone lines open if you'd like to join us on the Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 1020 on the Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk, 217-356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to join us. Well, uh, the question about Duncan Reed. I'll and, read that as a text question. The, yeah, who's the best? I mean, who, who was the best coach at Lincoln High School, Duncan Reed or... Neil Alexander. Both great coaches, great, great coaches. And I would say it's like trying to compare Harry Combs and, and uh, Lou Henson. I mean, you know, for long periods of time, both were great at Illinois and both were great at Lincoln. I, I, I don't know. I, but I wanted to throw this. There's something going on right now, Steve, that we all should be paying attention to. There is The NBA playoffs are underway, and there's some there's some – offensive skills and scoring ability and jump shooting and three-point shooting that's just off the wall. Last night, Tatum got 50 for the Celtics as they uh, beat the Nets, and the Nets had 
39 by Durant and 41 by Harden. Uh, over in the Knicks game, uh, Derrick Rose broke out with 30 points for the Knicks. Luka Doncic had 44 for Dallas. Uh, Leonard had 36 for the Clippers, and George had 29. Steve, these are just incredible numbers that are all across the league. Uh, we saw the Lakers play the other night. Davis broke out with 34. We, Jokic got uh, 36 for the Nuggets. Lillard got 37. I mean, it's just r routinely uh, guys scoring in the 30s. Uh, the last Hawks game, Young had 30. Uh, Morant had 47 for the Grizzlies. I'm just amazed that there, there's a level of play right now at the NBA. Uh, there's, they're not running offenses. They're just giving the ball to the best player, and he shoots a jumper, and you can't stop it. It's amazing. You're watching, obviously, more – NBA than I am. But well, I'm not watching as I'm watching some of it. Right. Yes, and I'm just seeing some incredible play. It's just way, way better than college now. But I like college. I prefer college basketball. But I'm just telling you, there's some, there's some things happening at the NBA right now that are, some of these guys are just unstoppable. And that's what guys like Io and anybody else that's coming out and trying to get into the league. That's the competition they're facing. There's a lot of good young players that mean that the NBA is going to be good for a long time. I mean, there are guys that are breaking in that right now that are just unstoppable. And guys that you nece uh, not necessarily had heard of well, previously. Yeah, or you might have heard them, but you just yeah. but they develop. Over or they were time. international guys that but, you didn't know much about. But the the one thing that they all can do, they can all put the ball on the court. They can all break you down with a dribble. And then they can shoot the jump shot. Like Tatum is shooting jump shots with people hanging all over him. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about fadeaway jumpers, maybe not directly fading away, fading away sideways and still making them from 25 feet. The, the three-point line is longer than it is in college, and there's some tremendous three-point shooting going on, just tremendous. I think that is one thing that may, I don't know if it will hurt, I owe Desumu or not, but it's something. Yes, it he, he, well, it's something that he's going to have to figure out because he's not exactly a point guard and he's not exactly an off guard or shooting guard. He's a little bit of a combo, but is he good enough at each one of those skills to see it's regular time? Tough. It's going to be a, it's going to be a grind for him, and and uh, it's hard to break in uh, in the NBA right now. They got so, like I said, they got so many many great players, but of course there are a lot of positions too. And uh, I, I don't know uh, where this is headed, but I don't know who's going to win this year. But there's a, it, looks, it looks to me like there's at least three or four teams that, that could win the, uh, the, uh, the NBA championship this year. It just depends on who shoots the best. Right. Update on the NCAA golf championships out at the uh, Greyhawk Golf Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. The Illini have picked up a couple of uh, shots in a couple of places. They're now in eighth position at... Um, two under for the day so far. They're early going. They're still playing on the early side of things there. They teed off at seven. Let me uh, update this for you. Pepperdine has moved into the lead at six under par. Illinois is plus five for the tournament in uh, eighth place now. So they're, they're, they're in fine shape. This is only the second of what will be four, hopefully four uh, rounds of stroke play for the uh, Fighting a lot, they have to be in the top 15 after Sunday. Just need to play good enough to get in, and then you need to get hot. And <laughs> that's all there is to it. Yep. Some other golf news. I watched some of the senior PGA yesterday. Oh, did you? Steve Stricker had the lead for a while, and then mm -hmm. Mike Weir got hot. And Mike Weir is now. Lefty, huh? Yep. He is seven under par. Stricker and Rocco Mediate 
are tied for second, four shots back. But Strick was five under at one point, ended up um, bogey in his last two holes to drop a couple of shots. Uh, he had fallen out of the lead, and then he holed a wedge shot on number 10 uh, for an eagle, and that uh, got him going again. But uh, the Senior PGA Championship going on at um, Southern Hills out in Tulsa. If you're looking for golf to watch uh, this weekend, um, that certainly would be one. They're playing uh, the PGA Tours, playing down in uh, the Dallas area, the old Colonial Tournament. Swab. Yep. Let's uh, go back to the phone lines and say hello to Eric. What's going on, Eric? Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I was wanted to talk about football a little bit. Uh, Lauren, you mentioned this earlier in the week, so you already know. But Steve, did you see the uh, the DraftKings uh, college football win totals popped up this week? Yeah, I did. I did. In I've Illinois, seen several of those. Illinois three wins at the bottom of the Big Ten. I wasn't expecting to see that, but I certainly wasn't expecting to see three. I mean, thinking that was like their non-conference stuff, but that's that's quite low. Well, they're, they're you know Illinois changed coaches this year, and and w- what we've seen from Bielema, we really like. But for the people mm-hmm. out in or across the country, it's just another. Uh, we, we had too many bad seasons in a row, and most people feel that you know we just don't have the talent to be much better. I I just don't know whether the twenty-one super seniors are going to be able to perform at a level, uh, you know that. Will be able to win games. Can they beat Nebraska? Nebraska fully expects to win that best that football game. I mean, there's right. no question that, that it would be considered an up. Uh, you know, I don't think it'd be a big upset, but I, it would be an upset if Illinois won. Right. I think that's uh, positioning that game where it is, right at the first week like that. That's a uh, that's really important, and it doesn't happen that often. We get those Big Ten games right away. Um, it t- change, uh, sets the tone for the season. I think. Right off the bat, so it really does. Anyway, yeah, just curious if you had if you had seen that and had any thoughts about it. Yep, thanks, Eric. We appreciate it. Um, I right. was I was not surprised that Illinois was rated below Nebraska. I was surprised a bit that they were rated below Rutgers and Maryland. Only three wins, right? Projected for the entire season. Yeah, That's and fine. and Purdue too. I'm not sure about how good. I Purdue think is. Illinois is better than Purdue. Yeah, I do. I I think. I think Illinois will win more than three games. But and I, I think a lot of people that are, that are looking at this from the outside, so to speak, see, as you mentioned, a coaching change. Mm-hmm. You saw what the record was, 2-6 and six last year. You know, and when you have a coaching change in most cases, in a lot of cases, it's well, a rebuild. They, you saw how they played in the last game. Yes. It's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's what you see. They don't um, necessarily see the 21 Super seniors, and like you said, we don't know if that's good news or bad. You know, well, it's good that you've got guys that have played a lot of games. Well, that's right. And and look, uh, the 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 level of players directly below the seniors is really weak. At least it has. <laughs> that's my view of it in terms of the recruiting of those particular classes. So Illinois is very fortunate to be getting these seniors back, regardless of anything you think they're. What, whatever their ability, they're better than the players on the second unit. <laughs> I'm sure of that. That Nebraska game, 90 days from now, the game time has been set, was set this week. If you saw that, a 12 noon game. I think there was some thought that that might be a, a night game being the week zero thing. But uh, We need those 12 o'clock games. I don't some mind of those. Us, some of us take a long time to write. Well, I don't mind, <laughs> mind uh, getting out of there at a decent hour myself. The uh, Texas-San Antonio game, September 4th, is a night game at 6.30. 
the Illinois at Virginia game. This will be one uh, that I think we check off the list as one of the earliest games we've done at 10 a.m. Central That'll be start. a tough game. Virginia's probably just slightly better than Illinois. That'll be a good toss-up game, I think. Another night game is a Friday night game against Maryland, 8 o'clock game. Matt Daniels and Scott Ritchie and the News Gazette guys and all the writers are not crazy about uh, that with a Saturday uh, or Friday night deadline. The Wisconsin game, which is a homecoming, will be either 2.30 or 3 o'clock. And the game at Penn State on October the 23rd will be at 11. So those are some of the times. We'll get the other times and TV assignments as we move along. 10.30, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. A break and back with more Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk after this. 10.32, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Glad you're with us. We're here until 11 o'clock. Illinois baseball comes your way at noon. Two games today, two seven-inning ball games out in Piscataway, New Jersey against Rutgers. We'll wrap up the season for Dan Hartlib's Fighting Illini baseball team. They had scheduled a game Friday, which they lost, by the way, 3-2 to two yesterday, one Saturday and one Sunday, but because of some uh, weather forecasts in the, the on the East Coast there, they're going to play two today, Illinois baseball. Last night, the Cardinals beat Arizona 8-6. to six. The Cubs over the Reds yesterday afternoon, one to nothing. Our friend Kent Brown was at the game with his son, Ty. Saw a picture of Kent and Ty at the ballpark. Looked like he was at a football game in November. <laughs> <laughs> All bundled up with a couple of coats and jackets on, and I think he said it was 47, felt like 37 at uh, Wrigley Field on Memorial Day weekend. Wind right off the lake. Exactly, and the White Sox will play two today. They were... Uh, postponed yesterday against Baltimore on the south side. They'll try to play a doubleheader today. Let's welcome to the program Tim Knox, who uh, has worked with Illinois football for nine years as director of football operations. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing? Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good. I want to talk to you about uh, your new position and uh, the decision to, to kind of move from the uh, football building over to the, the BFL administrative building as assistant uh, athletic director for capital projects, and facilities. Is that something that you had been considering for a while? Did you see your career kind of going that way? Yeah, I think uh, ever since uh, ever since I got into it, uh, and this is obviously going back 24, 25 years, I mean, the end game was always to be, um, be in administration. Uh, most, you know, what, what, when you do what I did for so long, uh, you're kind of on that administrative track. And uh, probably four four years ago or so, I started having conversations with Josh about, um, you know, what, what he thought that might look like if, if the opportunity ever came up, you know, to get to the other side of the street. And so it was really just a matter of, of timing and, uh, an opportunity meeting, um, meeting at some point in the future. And that, that future ended up being, you know, three or four weeks ago when they, when they came to me with, uh, with the proposal to, to do just that. When you talk about, when you do what you do, when somebody asks you, what do you do as director of football operations, how long does it take you to answer that question? <laughs> well, that's funny. I hear Lauren laugh. And that the, I figured out really early in my career that when, when your own mother doesn't understand what you do, <laughs> there, there's, there is no shot that, you know, my neighbor would understand. Right. And so, uh, the last few years, I've gone to just saying, 
people, you know, first of all, I made them beat it out of me. They'd say, like, we'd move to a neighbor, new neighborhood. They said, oh, what do you do? Well, I work for the university. Oh, that's nice. Well, what do you do? For, well, I work in athletics. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. you made them because you didn't want to get to the point where you just said, well, I'm the ops guy for football. Oh, what's that? You know, and so to avoid that question, I, I kind of, I made them work for it. But I, <laughs> I got to the point where I would just say, besides the 60 minutes of football, I handle everything else. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's where I where I ended up. Well, what is the most difficult situation you ever got yourself into? Uh, uh, late arriving planes or mistakes along the way or hotels that didn't have enough room? What, what, what's the biggest problem you ever got into? The biggest problem I ever got into that was self-inflicted <laughs> was we played in the Texas Bowl actually a couple years before Illinois did when I was at Western Michigan. And so we go down to Texas and we're, we're playing that beautiful stadium. I don't, I'm sure you guys went to that game. I mean, just yep. gorgeous. Right. And there was so much stuff going on and, and we had kind of snuck into that bowl, right? Because that's a big 12. I think it was designed like a big 12 sec game or something like that. And here we are a Mac school, you know, going, uh, going to Texas. We played rice that year. The one year rice is good in football. We end up playing them. Um, and Lauren, we got to, we got to game day. Now, now, mind you, as the operations guy, bowl games take about a year off your life. I mean, there's just <laughs> there's so much that goes into it that I had broken out in hives, uh, literally broken out in hives where our team doctor had to give me a cortisone shot, like a steroid shot or something to like calm these hives down. So you, your body's already and your mind's racing and all this stuff. We get to game day. And I had completely forgot to do the timing sheet for the guys to run out. Like there's a time, there's a countdown sheet, right? Quarterbacks go out at this time, running backs go out at this time, all the way down until zero and kickoff, right? Totally forgot to do it. And Cubit's the head coach, right? uh, Cubit was the head coach. Okay. I think me telling this story is the first time Bill would know that I didn't do it. (laughs) Because like we (laughs) – we scrambled. I had some great assistants. Uh, I can still remember the look on uh, Jake Moreland, who now coaches for the Jets. Uh, he looks at me, he goes, Tim, this is wrong. And, and literally what I had copied was one from a previous game, right? Like it, the game time was wrong. The, everything was wrong. And so Jake and I scrambled. We started writing up on whiteboards and, and uh, just to get to <laughs> – so uh, that, was, that was probably my biggest, like, panic – uh, self-inflicted, like I, you know what I mean? Like I did that. I forgot that. Um, and, and, and Lauren, obviously the other, the other stuff that, that has happened, you know, it's out of my control. Like, you know, planes being late. We had a plane late at Western Michigan. Like we were six or seven hours late flying into Connecticut. And, you know, I had to scramble to feed the guys, you know, kind of delay stuff. And now on the back end, we won that game. And so guess what? All was forgotten. You couldn't, you know, at the end of the year, it didn't matter, right? Um, and the same thing happened here. I, I told the story to Bob the other day. Like, we were delayed in Minnesota a few years back, the year Coach Cubitt was the coach. We had an 11 o'clock game in Minnesota. We didn't take off from Minnesota until 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. I mean, we had to wait on this plane coming in from Cancun. And, you know, it's 
there's nothing I can do about it, right? And it's, you know, you just got to, I always told guys, like, you have to, I told the young guys in the profession, you, you, you got to keep a level head because the whole team, all those kids, all the staff, everybody's looking at you. So if you're losing your mind, it gives them fair game to, like, lose theirs. If, if you're level-headed and you're take it as it comes and just like, okay, cool, you know, then they're going to be like, then they're going to be like, oh, okay, we're okay. You know, well, so if, we, if we look back, was, was this something that Rod Cardinal did when he was also the trainer? I mean, did he have yeah. – I think Rod had double duty, didn't he? He did because back in the day, um, that's what it was. I remember and, – and I think Rod handed it off to Al Martindale or vice versa because when Al was with basketball, he used to tell me stories all the time because really they were the operations guy and the trainer, the, you know, and Rod's – you know, Rod wore a bunch of different hats. And you dealt with hotels and and hotel staff and all that. And besides what you did for the football team, you, you'd have to have kind of a, a thick skin, I would think, because I would guess you could be in a situation where whatever went wrong it was your fault. Well, but that's it. See, like, you got to learn early on everything is your fault. I mean... <laughs> And that's why I went to I, – I, I really like landing on the 60 minutes of football. I handle – like, so they can't blame me if we don't get a first down on third right. and one. It's like, <laughs> that's not my fault. Now, um, but anything else, yeah. I mean, but that, that, that comes with the territory. And the, and the best the best guys in, in, that do my job understand that. I mean, you can't take stuff personally. And, and that was hard for me because I internalized everything. Like, if, uh, if I was yelled at – for something happening that wasn't my fault, I, I, I understood that, okay, you know, just take it. And, you know, because at the end, of like uh, two hours from now, he'll realize that it wasn't my fault, right? He just, because it, once they figure out that, that, that you'll take it without, uh, <laughs> without cracking, guess what? <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be that guy, right? Well, I could speak for the uh, radio broadcast team because uh, we appreciate because we're like the last ones to get to the plane on the on the way back, and uh, you've kind of held the plane for us. Although we're smart enough to realize as well that we're traveling with Kent Brown, and that's the real reason you're holding the plane, <laughs> not not us. But uh, we we do appreciate that because it gets to be a little bit of a scramble uh, getting there, as it does for uh, you know the team gets there before the rest of us. But that that's just somebody else you're looking out for to, to make things uh, go smoothly. Yeah. And see, Steve, I never left you. No, you didn't. Uh, no. And I, I, uh, I forget what year it was, but we had gotten a new SID at Western Michigan and uh, he didn't understand that. You know how it works, Steve, like it's time to go. Like it's time to go. And, and Matt didn't understand that Matt Cannon is his name. He's not Oregon state, but uh, we're pulling away from the stadium at Bowling Green and my, the sport out, uh, like the sport administrator looks at me, and goes, "You got everybody?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got everybody." He's like, "Well, Matt Cannon's still in the press box." <laughs> I said, "Well, I said, well, he'll have to find another way home," <laughs> and he did. But <laughs> so I, you know, everybody knew that I would. There's only one person you can't leave. You guys know that. Well, two: the the head coach and the head coach's wife. Like beyond that, you know. If you lost the game, I'm not going. I'm guessing you're not going to leave the AD either. (laughs) (laughs) If you lose the game, you got a problem with the head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tim, you're going to be working with Brett Stillwell, another friend of ours uh, in the facilities and capital projects. How well do you know him, and uh, what are you most excited about in this job change? 
Well, I've known him since uh, we did a, a, a real small, really just a cosmetic renovation of the old football office when uh, when Coach Smith got there. I don't know if you remember that, Steve. Like, we ended up putting in some wood floors yeah. and just cosmetic stuff, right? Painting. and Well, at that time, Brett was working for FNS. And, and so we had a working relationship through that project. And then shortly after that is when he got hired by DIA. And so I, I tell that story only to say, like, I've known Brett in a, in a working capacity for, for a number of years and, and uh, obviously worked together with him building the Smith center. Right. And um, you know, and that, that was a major, major, obviously you guys have been in the building I mean, it's a major, major undertaking. And so I, I'm most looking forward to, to obviously, you know, you know, seeing that relationship grow and, and also, you know, it's an exciting time. I mean, you guys drive down Kirby. I mean, there is, uh, there's a lot of cranes over there. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of, of dirt being lot of moved. Being, yeah. A lot of dirt being moved. I mean, you guys think about it on, I, I mean, you guys have been here obviously like until we built the Smith center, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, action or whatever you want to say, you know, as far as, you know, progressing the, the facilities. And so I think we're in a, we're in a, uh, a nice window here where there's, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's, there's a lot of projects, a lot of balls in the air. And so, you know, I look forward to the new challenge. I mean, I, <laughs> I told my wife, Danielle, the other night, I said, uh, I said, honey, I said, I knew it would be kind of like starting over, but this is really starting over. I mean, it's, it's a new, it's a new world. Is it your ultimate goal to be an athletic director? And would this help in that regard? I think, Lauren, that got beat out of me probably four years ago or five years ago. When, when you, don't get me wrong, when I was younger, absolutely, I wanted, to, I wanted to sit in the big chair. I mean, I wanted to be the athletic director. As you get closer to the chair and you see what the chair has to deal with on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> yeah. boy, I tell you, I, I have the utmost respect for, for every AD that I've ever worked for. And, and, and that, that includes Josh. I mean, that is a different now, would I like to be the guy next to the chair? Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's, you know, you want, you want to, you know, and that's the one thing I'll miss, right. Is, is I'll miss the interaction with the kids uh, day in, day out. And so I'd like to get back to a place where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff that, that affects the the kids and why, you know, I call them kids, but they're, they're young men and women, right. On a, on a, but in, in, to your point, I mean, this, yes, uh, I'll have the ability, I think to, for some more doors to open up being on this side of the street than, than if I would have stayed, you know, just in football. I must say, I paused a little bit when I heard the news that you were leaving. I was not happy about that until I investigated further and found that you were not leaving, but you're just moving across the street. So I'm glad you're staying in town. Yeah, no, we are, we are too. I mean, I, I think I did, I I haven't changed jobs a lot. I mean, obviously you guys probably know my bio, like I've been at two universities in 25 years. It's, it's kind of a unicorn when it comes to people that, that are in athletics. And so not having the experience to, to announce or, or say that, that you were leaving. I, I probably did a poor job. Well, I know I did of, you know, communicating that. So no, we're so glad to, to still be here. By the way, you were, you've been around Bill Cubitt a lot. What's he doing now? Is, I, I think, was he coaching at a high school level last year, helping out? 
I think he was just helping out last year, Lauren, because yeah. he had he had been the head coach where he was, right? And then he went to Delaware for a year, uh-huh. and then scrapped that, and then went went, went back to um, went back to Florida. He just shot me a text uh, just the other day when he saw the news. So, Good. Uh, but no, him and Nancy are doing well. Um, you know, I think he likes his freedom now. Obviously, you know, he gets to go up and see Ryan and the grandkids and and his other grandchildren as well. So, could you imagine working for a, 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 an easier guy to work with? Is that Boy, a fair question? I mean, I, I mean, it just seemed. I got to remember, Lauren. Like I, I was blessed to work. I mean, my first boss, Gary Darnell, was an unbelievable man to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill was, you know, Bill and I his relationship was probably different than anybody else's because I had known him. I'd known him since I was 22 years old. I mean, um, I used to tell people, I know what come, I know what's coming out of that guy's mouth before he says, it. so, <laughs> and, and as, uh, as the ops guy, like that was an invaluable tool that I had in my toolbox. Right. And then when, when it didn't work out and, 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 and Bill left and then, you know, that was the hardest part was transitioning to, coach smith who didn't know me from a jar of vix and and i'll never forget the first thing coach smith said to me we were up in the press box and he he named this operations guy that uh he had worked with at some point either with the bears or the or the or tampa bay but he's like and i'll make this guy's name up but he was like you know mark smith was my uh, operation guy he wasn't good he was great and i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) no pressure up to that (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but no, to your question, I mean, Bill was, he was unbelievable to work for. And um, like I said, we, we just had a different, I think a different relationship than a lot of, a lot of guys have. Hey, Tim, thanks for your time. We've enjoyed working with you and we're happy that we'll be able to do that in the future. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. You bet. Tim Knox has been with us at 1049. We'll take a break and be back with more. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It is 10.54. we got about six minutes left here on the show. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you on DWS. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. Talked some football with Brett Bielma. Talked about Kofi Coburn staying in the NBA draft, at least for now. And he's still... By the way, uh, Dickinson from Michigan is is in the thing for now, but he apparently is going to. I think he's coming back. I don't think Kofi is. Right. And also, um, I think Trevin Williams from Purdue is in the is looking into the NBA market also. But I think he might come back. Um, those are big centers that are, are keys to the to the basketball race this coming season. And if they get into those guys, and we know Kofi will, but we'll get into. NBA tryout camps uh, and evaluation camps. That's exactly right. And before the opportunity, I think it's July the 7th is the last day they have before uh, they have to stay in. Mm -hmm. They can pull out on or before that date. So he'll have more information then. My big concern is who backs up Payne as the center for Illinois. If he can play 20, 25 minutes every game, I I wouldn't think he'd be playing much more than that. Maybe he could play 30 on occasion uh, if it develops that way. But somebody's got to be a backup center. Bishanisvili is gone. Georgie is gone. And, of course, if Kofi's gone, who plays the – who? you got to have two centers, right? Yeah. Who's the other one? Don't know. Is it somebody they still may pick up? Is it somebody that's on the roster? Um, 
Coleman Hawkins is, you know, he's got the height. Yeah, he's got 6'10", isn't he? Yep, and you got uh, uh, Benjamin Bozeman's Verdunk, who Verdunk. We, we don't know a lot about because we haven't seen him practice. He looks the part, but he's had foot problems, foot injuries. Yeah. I'm just thinking defensively more than anything else mm-hmm. because uh, I don't know if um, – I don't know how how uh, either one of those guys would work in the post defensively against a really good center like at the two I just mentioned, right. Trevin Williams and and uh, Dickinson, and there are other good centers in the league. Although several have left, like Miles Johnson's left for UCLA, and a couple others have departed. Uh, Liam Robbins, who uh, was at Drake, right, and moved from Drake to Minnesota. Now he's moving to somewhere else, Vanderbilt. I yeah, think. I think you're right. And so. The league has lost some key centers, and if Kofi goes, that'll be another one, and, and uh, the league won't be as strong in the post next season as they are this year, yep, as they were this year. You've still got guys, I guess, and I don't pay a lot of attention to the portal and who's who's available. And Portal's running dry on, on big guys. they got a million others. Right. But as far as any centers, big centers that can play, obviously there aren't enough to go around, and so most of them are gone. And some of those guys that are – in the NBA draft at the moment may find out through these evaluations that maybe that's not what is best for them. They could then go in the portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, Guy like you, EJ Liddell or Yeah, nobody like knows what Liddell's going to do. Right. And and Liddell, I think, intends to come back, if, but he is going to test the market. As, and, of course, and he wants to be a power forward anyway, and I'm I, I I just don't know what I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but for Illinois, it's a tough situation because they just they need some they need some beef up front. We were to, talking uh, during a break here about this being Memorial Day weekend and how different it feels this Memorial Day weekend than it did last year when oh yeah we didn't know there were going to be games and when they would start if there were games. Well, I saw something last night, you know, the, the party at the Clark Bar was just wild because people were out. A lot of people, I know uh, Jack Brighton, who played guitar last night, said that this is the first time he's been there for 15 months. Now, that doesn't mean he hadn't been practicing and playing sure. somewhere else, but, but basically uh, there have been no parties. <laughs> and so... Uh, Jack. For, and for a lot of people like that, that's not their full-time job. No, no. But, but, he, but he's, for others it is. And well, if it, you were in the entertainment business and you weren't playing live for 15 months probably. I bet, I bet you Clark Bar hadn't had that many people in right. their bar lately. And if you watch the national news, what the airports look like this weekend. Yeah. People are moving. It's, it's changing. You know, it was interesting last night. There were dozens and dozens of people in the bar and, uh, about... Oh, I don't know. After been there about two hours, somebody walked in with a mask on. I thought that it kind of looks strange. It's the only person in the place with a mask on. Well, we appreciate you listening on this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Thanks to our guests, Jackie Simoniak from the U of I Golf Program. The golf team, by the way, right at the moment is in eighth place at the NCAA Nationals early in their second round out there. Thanks to Jeremy Werner from 24-7 Sports, Illini football coach Brett Bielma, Alana assistant basketball coach Jeff Alexander, and Tim Knox, the former director of football operations and now the uh, assistant AD for facilities and capital projects. Mr. Tate, we'll talk to you again soon. Ready. Illinois baseball doubleheader today starting at noon on WDWS. Champaign-Urbana, thanks to our producer Dave Leak. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend. A good holiday weekend, everybody.